Who were you before you lost your wild self? That's what we're helping you explore on the Tend Her Wild podcast. Through questions and tools around how best to listen to your inner voice, rewild ourselves, and live the most authentic life where we thrive instead of survive. I'm Betsy. And I'm Kate. And we're so glad you've joined us for this episode. Hello, Tend Her Wild podcast listeners. We're talking about what on the surface may seem like a heavy topic, but we're hoping to go about it in like an educational and uh, a lighthearted way. And that is the topic of therapy. Uh, something that is um, near and dear to my heart. I was going to say near and dear to my heart. I mean, it's just something I've been immersed in for over 20 years now, both personally and then as a, as a psychologist. Um, and we were just talking recently how therapy is showing up um, so much more in, in just like TV shows and movies and and actually in daily life. In daily life. There's hardly a day that or week that goes by that someone doesn't mention the word therapy. Yeah. My therapist told me yeah. or yeah. yeah. So and that's a really interesting phenomenon for me that when I entered my graduate program in nineteen ninety eight, there was still a lot of stigma around therapy, around mental health, around, you know, seeing a therapist and in fact my um, extremely loving and kind father, I remember when I told him, like, Dad, I think I'm going to get my PhD in psychology, he kind of, like, looked at me and said, you know, we've never had to go to therapy. Why would you Why would you be interested in this? And I see now he didn't really fully understand it, um, and he didn't mean anything negative per se by it, but I remember it sort of struck me as, um, you know, clear that it was something that was really misunderstood, and, and at least in my family. Yeah. I feel like the shift has been, I think for us growing up, it was a sign of weakness. Yeah. And I think we've moved into a space where it's a sign of strength. Mm. I agree. So, and maybe that's in, in progress, I but I, it, to, to go to therapy now feels like almost this badge of like courage, courage that I'm delving in. Yeah. And I actually tell my clients that often that I see that it's often really strong people that not weak people that go to therapy because therapy is, can be hard work and it's asking you to sort of do an inner dive and feel your feelings and look at your stuff and it's actually, I think, easier on some level to just numb out and to deny and to push away and to not address anything and just go on your, quote, merry way, even though it's not so merry, it's pretty numbed out. So I do think it takes a really uh, strong person who's like, no, I, I'm, I'm actually going to face what I'm scared of or face what I've been avoiding and just go into it. I totally agree. Yeah. yeah. I think there are times in all of our lives where life just experiences just can require us to make a decision on whether we're willing to go, go deep or not. And I think this younger generation, I mean, we're both raising young 
teenagers and mm-hmm. kids in their early 20s. And there is an earlier acceptance of of the need to um, get support. Yeah. And um, there's greater buy-in and the conversations are the, happening. Um, yeah. They're just not afraid to talk about it. And so that normalization for this next generation it's is going to serve. Yeah. My son brought home the other day these little those little white plastic bracelets, you know, that you wear, and it said on it, Mental Health Matters. And he said, hey, Mom, my girlfriend gave this to me, and she bought one for you because she knew that this is important to you. Will you wear it? And so, and my son, I noticed the other day, I was noticing he wears it every day yeah. to school. And that would never have happened in our generation. No, no one talked about mental health. Or I even remember I had a, a college friend who... Um, had to leave partway through the semester for mental health reasons and go get some treatment, and no one talked about it. It was like so hush-hush about what happened to this person, um, where I think it's just so much more understood now that it's not the same. It's not the same. Thank God. (laughs) And I think it's partially because, unfortunately, mental health issues keep rising. You know, we're having more and more challenges. Um, some of the date, data is a billion people worldwide suffer from some diagnosable mental health disorder, a billion people, and that um, it went up. Um, estimates are showing 26 to 28% increase for anxiety and depression because of the pandemic. Right. And we've talked a lot about that on this podcast and you and I personally about just how people really struggled during the pandemic and are still struggling. It's like it dredged to the surface, all of the stuff that people were able to deny or not look at. And then suddenly you're in your house without any interaction for two years. And, you know, that stuff starts to rise to the surface. And not to mention, there were lots of things to suddenly be afraid of. Yeah. So anxiety, a fear of the future. I always think of anxiety as like focusing on a the uncertainty of the future. And I know that's oversimplification, but it's a really, you know, there was, yeah. there was a lot of that for us. Like what's, what's next month going to look like? Will we get the vaccine? Mm-hmm. Will there be, will we ever go to school again? Mm-hmm. Will my kids have a normal college experience? Will my, you know, yeah. it just, there were so many of those uncertain on things. And, on. So, um, and then depression, you know, that kind of being stuck or focused on, on what was in the past. And, yeah. So it was harder in, it's harder in a crisis to stay in the present moment. I think absolutely. And so it's, it doesn't surprise me that the numbers are skyrocketing. Yeah. Um, and it's, it comes out sideways then in, in our schools, in yeah. our workplaces, um, just yeah. in the grocery store. I think we see it coming out sideways in the cultural things that are happening. Um, the shootings that are happening, the mental mm-hmm. health, you know, there's so much, Mm-hmm. pent up that feels mm-hmm. like it's like expl- these little explosions are happening that are yeah it's scary where yeah. we're at because it's um things feel fragile yeah i agree that our culture is imbalanced mm-hmm. unhealthy and so it's actually really hard to be yeah. <laughs> balanced and healthy in this culture and i also this is another piece to maybe why mental health stuff is rising up and why people are talking about it more. You know, I think we are carrying the DNA of our 
ancestors. And there wasn't spaces, places, treatments, uh, conversations for like our parents' generation mm. around mental health. And so what did you do? You repressed it, you pushed it down, you ignored Numbed. it, you tried to hide it, you numbed it. And um, so, you know, there's some great research and understanding about lineage and how we actually do carry some of the lineage of our of the people who came before us. And so it's almost like because the past generations didn't face it or work with it. Yeah. Now it's more intense in our generation. Mm-hmm. And so um, I had a grandmother who I guess had uh, quite a bit of postpartum depression after one of her children and went away for a period of time and no one really talked about it. And and I'm actually named after her. And I think about her a lot. Like I actually feel her a lot And I often sense like, okay, Grandma Anna, I'm doing this work right now for you, but also I'm doing this work for me, but I'm also doing this work for you because you didn't have the resources or there wasn't even sort of an understanding of mental health um, that we understand now. So it scared people. So we hid it away. Yeah. Yeah. Whether we we locked people people up. Right. (laughs) Right. Because we didn't understand it. Yeah. And, and everyone's got a story of that. I think that in every family mm-hmm. and, you know, no matter who you are, even if you don't deal with mental health issues, you've got someone in your life who does, you know, anxiety affects one out of four people, <laughs> one out of four people. So it's all around us. And so I think understanding it and then seeing, you know, there are <clears throat> treatments and tools and pathways to kind of lighten it and help us is is really beautiful and I think we're just starting to understand you know there's more and more to come I think in terms of how we can really help um, our well-being and our mental health so have you been in therapy Kate I have I have different times in my life how has it impacted you oh I, I I think the first time I had um Therapy was incredibly scary, mm. and I remember I was in a bit of a crisis, and so I didn't know what else to do. Um, and I may have talked about it. It was actually the first time was when I left um, the practice of law, and I was mm. staying home as a stay-at-home mom, and I was so unhappy. And I thought, oh my gosh, I have this huge gift to be able to stay home with my baby. And, um, of course I love spending time with them, but I was really lonely, I think. And I was also, I felt afraid to go back to work. I felt afraid to stay home. I just, I, I was at this crossroads of like, I don't know how to move forward, um, in the space I was in because I just felt, I felt again, I was looking at external forces and external Mm. opinions and, and how's this going to look if I suddenly go back to work again? You know, I, that doesn't make me a good mom. <laughs> I know all those labels that right or wrong. Yeah. yeah. And, um, I remember, um, actually it was a, a therapist that used, um, a lot of mindfulness with me. And even that I was like, Oh, this is wacky. This was years <laughs> ago. And, yeah. um, but I, but I played along and she quieted my mind before I would start talking. Beautiful. And it made such a difference. And, um, she, I was about six months and she helped me. I found her in the yellow pages, by the way, just to date. Yeah, that was this experience. <laughs> um, 
she helped me see that for my children to experience happiness, they needed a mom who was following her and happiness. Fine. Yes. Yeah. And that if I wasn't happy in the current situation, then, then I, it was okay to find my joy yeah. again. And that that would only strengthen my relationship with my kids. It wasn't choosing, not choosing them. It was by, you know, choosing to, to go back to work. And that gave me the strength to say after a year of being home, I needed to go back to work. Mm. It was, this was not working for, for me. And then thus it wasn't working for the family. And, um, but I almost, I feel like I went to therapy to, to get permission. Um, and I realized that I I was seeking for myself to give myself permission really. Um, and it was, it was the shift I needed and it was, you know, it's always holding space for people to. Right. It sounds like this therapist helped you go in and figure out actually what your Mm -hmm. heart wanted, what you needed, which is actually, I think the core of good therapy is that the therapist doesn't know your answers, doesn't know what you need, doesn't have the right advice. The therapist, at least I believe good therapy is someone who's skilled at taking you in and just helping you listen for what you wanted. And clearly you wanted to go back to work. You just had all these storylines about what you believed a good mother was or what you should do. And so this therapist just helped you find your truth, essentially. That's exactly right. And to know that I could craft my next step in, I went back half time. Yeah. <laughs> and that was, that was also what I needed. I, you know, it was, it felt like the right balance and compromise for myself. And so, um, but yeah, it was very, very powerful. And she moved away. Mm. And I remember panicking because when you develop oh, that relationship, relationship. you're like, yeah. oh, but I can go back if I need them. Yeah. 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 And she wasn't going to be there. And this was before Zoom and, you yeah. know, all those things. And so, um, but I do think sometimes people, I do believe always people come into our lives for a, a purpose. Yeah. And and um, I will always be grateful for that that first relationship because it, you know, there's so many things I learned during that time that I've had to come back to time and time again, yeah. you know, slowing my mind, sitting with decisions. I'm not someone that can make really fast decisions. Yeah. I'm a processor. Either. Yeah. It takes me a long time. And that doesn't, that's just who I am. And so I've also embraced that and that, that's okay. Mm-hmm. That's, that's how I came into this world. And so yeah. I, I just, yeah. um, but I, I now am, I think I am, I can get clear a little bit faster and I can trust myself more. Yeah. And I think you bring up an interesting point that, um, you know, when we have a really good therapeutic relationship with someone, um, it can be useful to go back to them from time to time when we need them. And I also think there's something really beautiful. Um, I was trying to count how many different therapists I've had, Kate. Were you? How many? Oh God, at least 12. <laughs> Over the years. Yeah. Because I started in graduate school. I figured if I'm going to do this for a job, I better experience experience it it myself. And, and, you know, I moved at various times throughout the course of my life. And I wouldn't say that I've been continuously in therapy, but there are certain things that precipitate it. But I've had more short-term therapy where, you know, it's like six to eight sessions. You're focused on a particular issue. And then I've had longer-term therapy where I worked with someone for, I don't know, four or five years and they're both really beautiful and powerful. Um, but I do think there's something really useful as I reflect about 
working with different people because people have different, different therapists have different uh, perspectives and different energy. And so I feel like if I were to have only stayed with one therapist, my whole experience, I maybe wouldn't have the same, I don't know, different levels or different awarenesses that I've been able to, but that also being said, I think if you jump around too much, then you maybe lose sort of that sinking into the, the really deep stuff. Um, and, and myself as a therapist, I do short-term work with people, but I also really love it when people stay for several years and we can really start to feel the core wound and start to really see the patterns that keep arising for people. And so to me, that's the real deep change. Um, so I think they both have merit, both more of a short-term model and more of a longer term. We're really going to sink into the depths. Yeah. And I think that's, that's so true that you, and sometimes you don't know whether it will be short-term or long-term. You yeah. just have to start. Yes, exactly. And if it doesn't, we've talked about this, if it doesn't feel like the right person, yes. the right relationship, that it's okay to break up. I think that's a really key thing for people to hear, maybe who've not done therapy but are curious about it, is that um, it's all I I believe, and there's some research to back this up, it's, it's all about the fit. It's about the relationship. And so if you don't particularly like your therapist or you just don't feel like they get you or they see you or you're really resonating, um, like don't waste your time sticking around. Like it's okay to say this isn't working for me. And sometimes a therapist will say this isn't working for me. You know, it goes both ways. Um, But one of the key factors that show how people change is that therapeutic relationship and the strength of it and the sense of safety a person feels. And um, so that that's the key piece, you know, do you feel connected to this person? And I've had it, I've had it both ways. I mean, I've had some bad therapeutic experiences, (laughs) which I think is real. And it's important for people to know, like therapists who just like did not see it and didn't hear me. And I would leave so frustrated. Um, And then, but then I would say, go back just because, you know, I'm a, like, just keep with it. Keep with it, Betsy. And then it became very clear to me sometimes quite a ways in that's like this it's not a good match. Why am I, why am I doing, I'm feeling worse after sessions well, and versus better. And I think that's key. a key, yeah. key point is, you know, how do you feel after sessions? And I will say, you don't always feel great after a session. There are sessions that stir up really hard stuff and that's part of therapy. And so you might walk out feeling really overwhelmed, but I would say rule of thumb in general, you want to feel better or like you lightened up on some level or you learned something or you felt seen and heard. I think that's the key. It's, yeah. it's how that therapist, if you, if you feel frustrated and not heard, then you end up focusing more on that relationship and trying to fix that than, than doing mm. the internal work. It's mm-hmm. like, next time I'm going to try to explain it better or I'm going to try mm-hmm. to be heard more, then it's probably not the right person. Yeah. There, there's, there's just, it's, the connection isn't there that you need. Right. And you have to trust that too. Yeah. Like it's, um, I've I had a uh, kind of a bad experience. It was okay in the beginning and I thought it was going fine. And then I think I even talked to you about it. I was like, can I, can I break up with this person? And you're like, yes, yeah, yes. It's totally um, allowed. Yeah. Um, 
because it wasn't feeling, I was starting to dread it and not mm-hmm. feeling release. Mm. And it was, mm. it wasn't feeling healing the, the environment, the, mm-hmm. um, because we have to acknowledge too, I mean, you're a therapist, they have issues too. Yeah. <laughs> so sometimes, yes. you know, it's, it's whatever's going on with that person can kind of yeah. show up. Yeah. And, and that's, a little bit how that felt. So I think we should introduce these two terms because um, for people that maybe aren't in the therapeutic world, this is really important. There's these terms called transference and countertransference. And transference is when you, as a client, take whatever inner feelings you have and you sort of project them onto your therapist. And if you have a good therapist, the therapist can feel that and know that and help you work with it. So let's say you're angry and annoyed at your mother for something and you start to get angry and annoyed at your therapist and the therapist sort of sees it and can help you see like, oh, I think this is a pattern in your life. So transference is, it happens and it's really useful. Then there's something called countertransference and this is when the issues of the therapist sort of unconsciously get projected onto the client. And so you're right, your therapists are humans too which is why I always think all therapists should be doing their own internal work. But even if you have been doing a lot of your internal work, countertransference can still happen, which is why as a therapist, like I have a mentor that I still talk to on a regular basis about cases and just to make sure that I'm staying clear in the way that I want to be. But I have a really good example of this, if I can share it. Here we're talking about all of our bad therapeutic experiences, but we'll talk about some good ones here too. But this was, um, this was, uh, some marriage work that I was doing with my spouse and, um, the, I was, I was feeling again, like the therapist wasn't really hearing me. And I asked him point blank. I said, I feel sometimes as if you're trying to keep my spouse and I together versus figuring out if it's best for me and if it's best for him. Like, isn't the role that you're here trying to help us understand if this relationship is best for us? And he said, he looked at me, he's like, nope, you're paying me to keep you together. And that was like a big, like I was sort of shocked in the moment. I think I might've talked to you about this. And I was like, what? And then... Later, I it came out in a session, which should have also been a red flag, that he had gone through divorce early in his life and really regretted it. And so clearly, these are were some of his issues that he was mm-hmm. putting on us. And um, for me, then, what happened is I just didn't feel safe anymore. I was like, well, if he's got an agenda, right. that doesn't feel right because I want sort of a neutral person here really helping me see me and really helping my spouse see him and then really helping us see the dynamics in our relationships that are working and not working. So once that safety eroded, then I had to be like, sorry, I can't, I can't be in this anymore. Yeah. So, so your point of yes, um, you know, therapist can sometimes put their stuff on clients. Mm-hmm. And as a client, I don't know if you can necessarily know that except for just, it doesn't feel right anymore. You don't feel seen or heard or supported in the way you need. Yeah. So I like your point of, I started to dread going. I think that can sometimes, and again, when you're working on hard stuff, sometimes it's yeah. not fun to go to therapy, but you know that there's going to be something helpful about it. Whereas if you just dread it every time, right. um, that should be kind of a sign. So what do you think about, like, because I've, we've done couples therapy too, and 
um, we've also done our own individual work. And I, I think it's, don't you love that we're talking about this? I love that we're putting this all out there. <laughs> all the therapy we've been through in our lives. Uh, we, yeah. I mean, to me, both things are valuable. And I know sometimes people are like, what do you, do you start with couples therapy or do you start with individual therapy? And I don't know what you, you think about. Like if you, if you are thinking like, and it, this happens a lot, I think in midlife for couples too, of like, okay, we're getting to this point in our, in our relationship, the kids are starting to leave. I mean, there's lots of talk about kind of this midlife time and, and rediscovering each other again. And, um, but I've, I've felt like in our relationship doing our individual work is really important yeah. too. And then we come together and then, so I don't know what you yeah. say about, about that. Yeah. It's a really good question, and I would say that the, I don't think there's a, a gold standard way either direction. I would say if you start with couples therapy and you have a really good astute couples therapist and they see, oh, one of you or both of you have some individual work that needs to be done, they would hopefully refer you out for that as well. Yeah. Um, and vice versa, if you're doing really good individual work, if you're taking care of yourself and clearing out your inner barriers, which is essentially what therapy does, it helps us clear out our inner stuff, yes. then you show up different in your relationship. You show up more present. You show up more clear. Uh, you don't get triggered in the same ways that you might have prior to therapy. So I think that there's not a one size fits all for everyone. So, um, But I agree they're both useful. They're both really different. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I here, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, if I had to choose one, I would choose individual work. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of the theme of our podcast is just like, do your work, do your work, do your inner work. Um, you know, you are in charge of 50% of your relationship with someone. They're in charge of their 50%. And so like, is your side of the street clean? Yeah. Okay. I have to tell you uh, this week, a friend of ours, shared a podcast with us, um, Michael Singer podcast. Did, <gasps> Did you, you listen? Oh my God. I've been obsessed with this podcast this week. We'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, we will because it was, it was mind blowing in my opinion. I agree. And to your point about cleaning your side of the street, what I, this visual picture he shares about like this inner, it's almost like an inner apartment that yeah. you have. And if there's pizza boxes laying all over and there's, you know, shit on the floor and, and you have to start cleaning that up yeah, um, so that the external isn't so, isn't affecting you so much. Yeah. Yeah. And his point is that if you're, if you've cleaned your inner self, then your outer self, your outer world, your relationships, the stuff that comes at you, you doesn't know it you as much. Yeah. So I do think it's all about, or it's primarily about the inner work. Mm-hmm. I really do. I loved that podcast so much. I did too. And, and I, that's where, yeah, it just put a different like visual picture for me that was really helpful. And would you say if you reflect on your own life that sort of these inner um, milestones that you've gotten to through therapy and all the other different healing modalities that you've worked with, they have had a direct impact on your relationship? Oh. Absolutely. Yeah. And we've been on kind of this joint growth path. Mm -hmm. Um, And so sometimes like, 
and then we will do things together. We'll go on a yoga retreat together. We'll, you know, and so there's, there's beauty in kind of this individual work. And then when you have joint growth too, we've had some experiences that have like, that, that's, yeah. that really um, can accelerate your relationship forward. Absolutely. So, so for us, it's been kind of this back and forth um, and we don't want to just continue only doing individual we want to grow together. Exactly. Exactly. But I think that um, this idea of, because there's going to be a lot of listeners out there who say, I'm willing to do my inner work and go to therapy, but my partner isn't. What then? And I still believe that you, if you are doing your inner work and cleaning up your side of the street, your whole relationship is going to improve yeah. or benefit. Your family's going to benefit. So yes, is it ideal if you're on a growth trajectory together? Absolutely. Beautiful. But that might not be the case for everyone, but don't let that stop you from doing your inner work because that may just save the relationship or it may just show you that I have to move into something different or a different, you know, perspective. So, um, that is so true. Yeah. And and I will say, you know, that's certainly not been the case through our whole marriage. <clears throat> Although I have said, I think it's it would be helpful if we all started marriage therapy after the wedding. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Because there is, there's always stuff. Like we come into relationships with our stuff, with yes. our pizza boxes, with all yes. of that. And the tension and the struggles are often because real. we haven't addressed those things. And so... Um, I had a therapist that said there's always four people in a relationship. There are you and your partner and then your inner child and your partner's inner child. So like whatever wounds you're bringing in from childhood, they are right a part of this relationship. You can't. So those first 10 years that we always talk about, you can't ignore them. They are there. They're showing up on a right. And I see that in, in my partnership for sure. Yeah. Oh, I do too. And and acknowledging that and working with that, even if you need to do it as an individual yeah, um, and your partner isn't interested at this point, it's still really, really valuable. And, and it will, it will enlighten and, and help you see things more clearly. And there's even, and it can be scary, but it's, there's a lot of power with, with this, yeah, with healing work too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, we, we wanted to share a little bit because obviously I am not a therapist. Um, I have a psychology degree, but that's where that stops. So, um, but as a coach, um, I am always working with people in a little bit different way. And, yeah. and so I wanted to clarify that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I think because, that's actually good because people get confused mm-hmm. about, um, and maybe after this we can talk about, there's all kinds of different forms of therapy. Yeah. And then there's coaching. And so, yeah, tell us a little bit about the difference yeah. between therapy and coaching. But it, it really um, comes down to when I'm coaching people, I, there's an assumption there's kind of this base level of um, mental wellness. And they're coming to me for um, making, uh, getting skills and developing skills to be able to um, move into the future and to manifest things that they're looking mm-hmm. to do. And so it's less about looking backward and kind of, you know, I still really help people be inward because the answers to what you want are are inside. But there's, you know, I do have some clients that have a therapist and work with me. Yeah. 
because they're different. It's different modalities. It's different, a different focus. And so, um, and I think coaching can be good. I know after having years of therapy, I was like, now I'm ready for a coach because Mm. I'm like ready to like take this to, you know, my life to a a different level or be able Mm -hmm. to, to work with someone to envision what I want next. And, um, so I look at it as, and sometimes you and I've had that experience where, you know, um, we see that as a kind of a pathway. Um, and it's the same thing though. You have to find a coach that feels like that you feel connected to, that you feel the, the energy's good, the, they hear you. They're not, ma- they're not telling you what to do. Right. They're, they're holding Would you space. Would say coaching or how I've always understood it is a very goal based, like you're coming in with a specific, I want to, I want to achieve this, or I want to move towards this. And so it's kind of a real sort of goal based focus with a lot of accountability. It's very much being an accountability. Yeah. Partner. Yeah. And, and holding space for people Sometimes people walk in knowing exactly what they want. And sometimes people walk in going, I'm really, I get a lot of people that are just like, I'm not sure this job's for me and I don't know what I yeah. want next. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so spending some time visualizing what is it they want. Yeah. And then being able to take steps toward getting there and working with people on the, um, I'm big on like, what is the next two weeks look like? Yeah. And you're, you're making progress. So they feel like, yeah, they're moving toward mm-hmm. a goal, but sometimes you have to figure out what that goal is. What the is. goal is. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. whereas I would say with therapy, it's not that there aren't goals, but it is a more diffuse process. Mm-hmm. I would say it's a more, um, big picture process, um, at least the way that I work. And it is trying to like hone in on what are the the core issues or the core challenges that just keep getting repeated over and over and over in your life. So we do go back because those core issues often come early on in life. Um, So I would say that if people are really stuck and keep finding themselves in the same kind of relationship over and over, or they can't figure something out, like coaching may not be totally appropriate because there's just, it's another goal and accountability. But if you don't ever get it the root of right. what's going on, showing up. then you're just going to keep repeating that pattern in a new setting. Yeah. So I think they do have their places, each of them. Um, and maybe we can find a good article to add into the show notes about, you know, how do I know? Cause I can hear the listeners. Yeah, well, how do I know? Do I which one do I need? Yeah. Um, so we'll see if we can find something to put in. Yeah. And what are the different types of therapists? So there are master's level programs in social work, in marriage and family, in um, uh, counseling. So there are sort of master's level programs and then there are doctoral level programs. Um, master's level, I think, usually take two to three years, whereas a doctoral program takes maybe five to seven years. And there's a little more research component often in a doctoral program. Um, and then there's a psychiatrist who went to medical school and then did a residency in psychiatry and they prescribe medications. So there's sort of a whole sort of range of practitioners. And, um, and then there's probably at least a hundred different forms of therapy, at least, I don't know. I've just pulled that number out. There's, there's cognitive behavioral therapy. There's interpersonal therapy. There's dialectical behavior therapy. There's, uh, acceptance and commitment therapy. There's somatic therapy. There's, 
um, eye movement desensitization reprocessing therapy. There's all kinds of therapies. And so often what happens is that um, these licensed therapists, and I would always say if you're looking for a therapist, make sure they're licensed. So make sure they've gone through a licensing board and have a license. Um, But you can then go off and do all kinds of different trainings and learn all kinds of different therapeutic techniques. So usually a therapist has many different therapeutic techniques that they bring into a session or can bring into a session. And the research, again, is sort of mixed. I mean, there's some research saying this specific therapy is best for anxiety or is best for post-traumatic stress disorder. But there's also research suggesting it's more the therapeutic relationship, Mm. right? It's more the connection, It's more the space holding um, that really makes a difference in terms of how people heal. So um, it's not clear cut. And I think that's what um, can sometimes be challenging, too, is that even based on a person's diagnosis, there's no necessarily, you know, there are there are treatments that have been empirically supported, but they don't always work either. So, um, and there's treatment resistant depression sometimes and, um, really intense trauma that, uh, you know, so, um, but the point is there's, there's good therapy out there and there are things that work. Um, and there is something deeply powerful about sitting with someone who's completely focused in on you and is listening deeply is seeing you, is reflecting back to you what they're seeing, is allowing you to share your deepest, darkest things without any judgment. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is something that we don't typically get in our day-to-day life with our friends and our family members. Right. It's very true. And it's all confidential. That's the other thing. So what you share stays. And there's something also that gives you freedom to really be open when you know Um, you know, even if you have a best friend, there can be fear down the road. What if this best friend Mm -hmm. now is no longer my friend and they tell people things, you know, so there's, you know, that confidential piece is really, I think one of the core, you know, powers of that therapeutic relationship is that, you know, this is, this is sacred, sacred space, sacred time. It doesn't leave these four walls. Yeah. Well, some of my favorite shows right now are focused on therapy and we've talked about this. (laughs) Ted Lasso. I know. I love Ted Lasso Um, so much. What do you think of his therapist, by the way? I'm only in season two, so I haven't made it to season three. Yeah. Dr. Sharon. I love Sharon. I didn't like Sharon at first. I I was like, what is, what? She's no empathy. What is going on with Sharon? (laughs) But I think that's what's so key to it is their relationship. Yeah. um, As it develops is, is what he needs. And, Mm. and she is she shows up for him and checks in on I just, it's, it's really okay. beautiful. I'm going to stick with this. And then shrinking, which I told you to start watching. I have not started watching shrinking with Harrison Ford, oh Jason Siegel, but I've heard it's amazing. It is amazing. And so when, when we are flooded with shows and, you know, art imitating life, it is another example of, you know, Ted Lasso, right? A, a male who's mm. very open about he becomes very open about what his his struggles are mm. and normalizing it for all of us and you know creating conversations about it because we talk about the shows and yeah. so um have you seen the Jonah Hill one I start I about halfway through that one so fascinating fascinating so Jonah Hill actually 
Uh, it's a documentary yeah. and it's his therapist, which I was thinking, I'm like, man, if I had a client come to me and be like, I want to make a movie about you. And put, I'd be <laughs> like, well, this is kind of an ethical, confidential relationship. I'm not sure. So I actually like really hats off to his therapist who was like, yeah, I'll let you like video our sessions. He's got Parkinson's. Right. So I also And feel I think like he wanted to get his message out. He wanted people. He, he said, I have these tools for people and I want to have people know them and Jonah can get this out to a larger yeah. um, percentage of the population. So it's, it's was really well done. Very well I done. I was really very, sucked into very it. Very powerful. Very so powerful. again, someone like Jonah Hill saying, this saved my life. This, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. this, this person's, the way they treated me and what I learned from this is changed my life. Yeah. And you, you can, yeah, yeah just it's it's definitely worth watching. So it's kind of all around us right now. I yeah. feel like, um, and so it's we wanted to talk about it. Yeah, it's, it's and I think the f- one of the final things I'd like to say about it is that um, no matter what, everyone has blind spots. I mean, I'm a therapist who's been in therapy for 20 years, and I still have a ton of blind spots, which is why I keep going to therapy or I keep doing healing work on myself. You know, so. It's so useful to have someone help you see your blind spots in a safe container versus having those blind spots be shown to you in the outer world Mm -hmm. in a blow up of a relationship or the ending of a job or so. So that I think is the real crucible of the therapeutic setting is that you get to start to see your blind spots. You get to start to look at the inner shadows and understand yourself so that then you can go into the outer world and maybe take more risks or show up differently uh, because of what you understand from that therapeutic work. Yeah. And there's so much freedom and release when you go to therapy that you, I always walk out lighter and I feel freer mm, Yeah, because we are all walking around with heavy things. Yes. And so anyone that can help you lighten that load and be a place and a person that provides the safety to do that is it's so worth your time and things are heavy. So it's, it's also a yeah. time where we all, we can all use more of that. Yeah. So I'm feeling very inspired. We didn't talk about this, but I'm going to take some time doing this for the show notes is putting in all kinds of resources for people Mm -hmm. about where you can find therapists. We're really lucky uh, post pandemic because um, we therapists have figured out you can do online work really effectively. Mm -hmm. And so where maybe people were limited to the number of therapists they had in their community or um, there wasn't any therapist in their community. You can now um, see people all over the country. Clearly there are some licensure challenges with it. And so insurance insurance challenges and all of that. But um, I do think it's opened the market. So we'll put some resources in for how people can potentially connect with a therapist if this episode is speaking to you. And if you're, you're feeling ready to dive in and look at yourself because, um, that's the wild woman. That's the courageous heart. Who's like, I'm stuck and I've been stuck for a while and I, I don't want to keep living this way. Yep. And I, I want to shift the key word. If you're feeling stuck, yeah, it'd be really powerful. So thanks for talking today. Yeah. Thanks Kate. We have been blown away by how this podcast is resonating with people. So thank you for listening. We have a request of you. First, 
Would you be willing to follow the podcast on the platform that you choose, rate and review the podcast, and lastly, if you have a favorite episode, please share it with a friend. So mean a lot to us, and we want you to know we're so grateful to all of you, our listeners, who are on this rewilding path with us. Today's episode is sponsored by Kate Moreland Coaching and Heartland Yoga. As a coach, I am an advocate for authenticity and well-being for individuals, organizations, and communities. Through my coaching work, I like to help you connect to your authenticity. Whether you're an individual, a leader, or an organization, your creative power lies in your authenticity. Doing the work to understand your strengths and acknowledge the patterns and rocks that are in your way is the path to well-being. Whether it's your career or your relationship with yourself or others, transformative change begins within. You can reach me at katemorelandcoaching.com. Heartland Yoga has been in business for nearly 15 years. I founded this studio with the intention for it to be a safe place where people could come and heal. I also knew that I wanted a business that fostered community and connection. So if you are looking to deepen your yoga practice, heal from physical, emotional, mental wounds, or simply connect with people who are like-minded, Heartland Yoga is a place that we would love to welcome you into, whether it's online or in person. You can find out more information at www.heartlandyoga.com. And now the amazing singer-songwriter, Lissy Morris with Wild West. Thanks for joining us today. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. Come back and rewild with us again next week. Safety.